if anybody else had said it, uh, the words would sound absolutely ridiculous. Uh, they would sound pompous, perhaps even somewhat Messiah-like. And yet, if the true Messiah said them, if the real Christ, the only Christ, said them, uh, they must be true, and they are. Uh, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, We can imagine Jesus saying that with outstretched arms, inviting all of those in such need to come to him for what they needed most. And the world has not changed all that much from then till now in the sense that so many need so much that they simply can't provide for themselves. And I say they, I mean we, and I mean you, and I mean myself. All of us have a deep and uh, yearning need that we simply can't provide the answers for, uh, problems we can't provide the solutions for by ourselves. Oh, folks have always been looking at other ways, other means of solving these kinds of problems, perhaps uh, drugs, perhaps alcohol, perhaps some other kind of diversion, perhaps gambling, trying to find some way to fill the hole, the emptiness, the vacuum left by the problems of sin and selfishness, Satan, and just the weight of this world itself. When Christ uses words like weary and heavy laden, we know what he's talking about because we've all been there. Absolutely worn out and worn down by life and by the worst parts of life. And here Christ, as I say, probably with outstretched arms says, I've got the answer. Come to me and I'll give you everything you need, everything you so long for, everything your soul requires. Come to me, I'll give you rest. I don't know about you, but I have always enjoyed a good deal. And maybe you've been out shopping the last day or two and been looking for some good deals. And uh, there are good deals, and there are really, really good deals. Uh, Sometimes you realize when you get back home, the deal wasn't as good as you thought it was, or the product wasn't the value or the quality you hoped it might have been. But we're always searching for a bargain, for a good deal, as it were. And when you really look at what makes something saleable, easy to to liquidate in terms of a sale, you need uh, two or three things, three especially. First of all, you need a real need that's being met. And then you need to have whatever you're buying able to meet that need. Take care of the problem. But then third, and this sometimes we overlook, you have to have a certain marketability, a a winsomeness, if you will, 
of the one selling the product. And I'd like to deal with that in just a little bit, but first of all, let's go through uh, the mess of the problem. Because when Jesus says, I'll give you rest, he's talking to all of us who so need rest from everything Satan has done to us, against us, and with us. Some outside our control in terms of the chaos of the world, so much in our control by the fact we've chosen to sin in our own lives. But all of this ugliness has left us in a place of weariness, of a state of being burdened by all the problems, the onslaughts and difficulties of life. Sin is the number one problem this world faces today. Now you can watch the 24-hour news cycle and you it can be uh, like chasing rabbits or squirrels. You think this is the number one problem? Well, we'll know the number one problem's over here. And no, no, uh, we've had a commercial break and now this is the number one problem to focus on. And this expert says, well, that's good, but this problem here, this is the one to focus on. And I would mention some of them by name, but then I wouldn't get your attention back for the rest of the lesson. But we're told by experts there's so many problems, each of which are the number one problem our world faces. And the politicians will say, I can solve that one problem. Uh, the economics professors will say, we've got the answer to this one problem. The medical community says, we can solve this one problem. Well, if you ever do solve that one problem, you realize it's one of so many others, and they all direct your attention somewhere else to the biggest problem. Now, fact is, there is one problem, which is the world's biggest problem. It's not war, as much as we detest it. It is not scarcity of resources, and we wish that there are more, uh, more abundance of resources for all of those around the world. There's still hunger in our world. So much poverty need not be, but that's not the number one problem. It's not a problem of economics, or biology, or medicine, or politics, much less business or entertainment. The number one problem is sin. It always has been. It always will be. So much so that if you could, in one fell swoop of your arm, just remove sin from not just your life, but from the globe. If you could just speak into existence a sinless world, what kind of world would you be looking at then? A world which had problems erased. You wouldn't have the crime, they'd be gone. You wouldn't have the, the selfishness and the unrest, the division, those things would be gone. You wouldn't have the violence, the wars, they would be gone. You wouldn't have the broken families, the broken societies, the broken communities. All of that would be healed. You wouldn't have the anxiety, the angst, the lack of peace. Because if you could take care of the sin problem around the globe in the blink of an eye, 
We can't imagine what a world would be looking at. It would be a heaven on earth. And perhaps then we'd finally realize fully, perhaps for the first time, that this world's number one problem is sin. And whereas we can't sweep the arm or say the words and rid the entire world of sin, we do have ability in Christ to take care of our own sin problem. We can do that. And I'll just be honest with you, I can't solve your sin problem, and you can't solve mine against the will of either one of us. You've got the ultimate say, I have the ultimate say, but the good news is all of us have the right for the ultimate say as to whether or not we accept the offer Christ makes. But there is a real need. And the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and verse 23. So much so there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3 and verse 10. Whether in Christ as a Christian or outside of Christ as one needing to come to him. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. His word is not in us. Those are John's words in the last of 1 John chapter 1. Sin is a pervasive and ever-present problem for all of us. And forget the world, just think about your own life. Because whether you need to obey the gospel this morning, or you are a child of God doing your best to live up to the name Christian, but failing so often. Imagine what your life would be like if there were absolutely no sin to deal with. How much would be going better for you? Well, you can't live a perfect life. That's just the truth of it. And even if you could going forward, you can't by yourself make up for the imperfections of your past. You just can't do that. But regardless of all of that, it still is a fact that we all have a problem. The sin problem started in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, continued through the Old Testament, both in patriarchal and mosaical periods. It continued in the New Testament, as the scriptures find themselves coming to real life then. And here in 2023, it's still the number one problem we individually face, and as a world, we encounter. And so uh, you'd think if there were a universal need for something and there were a solution for that problem, a filling of that need, it would be universally accepted, clamored for, and demanded, you'd, you'd think. Because there is a solution to the problem. If you were living back in the Old Testament period of time and learning from the law or learning from the prophets, you'd have glimmers of 
expectation and even hope about what might come, but you wouldn't fully understand all that might be a part of that process or that person, that Messiah or that kingdom. But you know something's coming. Something's being promised. Someone will come who will bruise the head of Satan once and for all. Those words are spoken in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Someone will come to, to bless all the world through this one born of Abraham and his seed. Now that promise beginning in Genesis chapter 12. One will come born in Bethlehem. One will come born of a virgin, as Isaiah says in his seventh chapter. One will come from heaven to earth and live among us, though despised and rejected of men. He will be bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we will be healed, as Isaiah says in his 53rd chapter. And over 300 times throughout the Old Testament scriptures, references made to the coming solution to the growing problem of sin. And finally, as we have the time of New Testament era upon us, the record of New Testament writers before us, as we have Christ now coming and living among us, we see the answer to all those prophecies and the solution to our biggest problem. We have a Savior. The angel tells Joseph concerning his betrothed Mary, concerning a soon-to-be-born Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The word Jesus means Savior. He came to be Savior. In his life, in his perfect life, in his example, his spotless example, and in his death, his vicarious death, he thus provides means for us to solve this sin problem once and for all. Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Because he solves our problems. In his sacrifice upon the cross, he paid a debt that we owed but couldn't pay. He provided the solution for sin. We couldn't take care of ourselves. He was a perfect lamb without blemish and without spot who gave his blood by which we might find redemption. The Father sent the Son, John says, to be the Savior of the world. It's as simple as that. And so you have the need, a universal need, your need, my need for salvation from sin. You have a wonderful solution, Jesus Christ, who offers himself as a sacrifice by which Sacrifice all of us can stand before God justified, reconciled, and saved. And so a need and a solution. And I didn't mention this, but it helps if the solution is close, if not altogether, a monopoly type of solution. Unique, one of a kind. How many answers to sin are there outside of Christ? 
Well, the answer is zero. How many saviors are there besides Jesus? Uh, again, the answer is zero. Acts 4 and verse 12 has Peter saying, Neither is there salvation found in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Or as Christ himself said in John 14, 6, I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the only solution, the only Savior. He has a monopoly on salvation. But as I say, the third element is especially important. Have you ever had somebody to, to be right, and yet they were so abrasive in their personality, so caustic in their delivery, so unfriendly in their whole demeanor that you just didn't want to admit they were right? You, you didn't want their help. You didn't want their solution because they just weren't very nice people. And if you don't know anybody like that, it may be because you're the person I'm talking about. We've all met people like that. Who kind of push people away. It's mighty hard to pet a porcupine. And some people are like porcupines. And you keep your distance. So even if they can't help you, even if they've got the answer to your problem, you just soon keep your distance for other reasons. Uh, no doubt you've been, uh, I have, I know, in a store to buy something and you ask for help. I know, good help's hard to come by these days. And uh, I, I hate to bring this up because your mind will go off in this direction. Uh, but I'm going to. Uh, the fact that uh, it seems hard to find anybody in the store that will help you these days and actually give attention to an interest in you. Uh, they're just there, it seems, to collect their paycheck and leave as quick as they can, knowing nothing about the products, nothing about the store's layout, nothing about anything concerning the business they're employed by. And all you're doing is just wanting to know where to find something or whether this works or not or, or how it works. But what if you have a store that sells a product everybody needs and the person that you're dealing with is somebody that you'd like to have dinner with. You'd like to spend time with. They're, they're entertaining in their disposition. They're winsome in their attitude. They're, they're lovable in their way of coming across to you. You just want to spend time with them. We've all been around people like that, haven't we? That's the way Jesus was, and that's the way Jesus is. Mark says the common people heard him gladly. There's a reason why. He drew people to him by his attitude, his disposition, his demeanor. Whereas the Pharisees were off-putting, uh, Christ was embracing. Not compromising truth or enabling sin, but working with, talking with, associating with those who most needed him, even the publicans and the sinners. And oh, they were drawn to him because, as he said in the invitation we just read together, I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, not arrogant, 
not pompous, not self-aggrandizing, but humble, contrite. You want to listen to someone like that. You want to follow someone like that. You want to be around somebody like that. And that's the person Jesus was and is. So you have the complete package. A universal need that must be met. A solution which is unique in itself and there is no other solution. And the one offering the solution is one that draws you to him by his disposition and attitude. How can you possibly say no? Well, the reason is Satan is still at work. And many of us are still self-centered and selfish and don't want to change. But even here, and this next is so important, a Christ offers to help. Now those who are following, he makes demands. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But to those who haven't made up their minds yet, to those who are on the outside, he makes no demands or commands. He gives an offer. If you understand and see your need, come to me and I'll help you. And he does. And that's important for all of us in coming to him. It's also important for those of us reflecting that in asking others to come to him by our invitation. The uh, evangelistic tools of the New Testament does not follow the pattern of you're all wrong and we're all right and don't you wish you were one of us. And let me tell you something on on paper, that's right. <laughs> the world outside Christ is wrong. And those of us who are doing our best to follow him, we hope to be right. And we do want the world to be one of us. All of that's true, but how does that come across when it's put that way? You're all wrong, we're all right, don't you want to be one of us? It makes the world say, I don't want anything to do with them. And by the way, that's not the Christ that the Bible presents or the attitude he presented. Come to me. I'll give you rest. And as we speak to the world, basically, we're saying, do you understand the problem we all have? We found the solution. We found the Savior. Come and join us in the salvation that all of us can experience together. There's a difference in that approach and the one I just mentioned. You might say, well, it's, it's almost the same language. But yes, it is a huge difference. It's the difference in having somebody in the store that actually helps you, that you want to be helped by, and someone that's abrasive that you don't want to be helped by. Christ drew people to him by his disposition, his attitude, his demeanor. Sometimes we push people away in the opposite of all of those. And so, first of all, we need to accept the invitation of Christ ourselves. Second, we need to understand the world must accept that invitation of Christ themselves. But third, we must make very sure we follow our Lord's example in having the right attitude and helping the world that needs 
the solution to their largest problem. Because when all is said and done and the dust of history settles, what we want most is more people saved and less people lost, whatever it takes, by whatever means, based upon the Lord's will. My friend this morning, are you a New Testament Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you accepted the Lord's invitation? If not, what better time than this morning to do that? Or perhaps in the past you've done that, you're a Christian, but you've walked away, need to come back. Why not this morning come back to Christ? He begs you to do so. Repent of sins, ask his forgiveness. He so longs to do that. But if you need to come, come now as together we stand and sing.